Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Finos Open Source and Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Grizz Griswold. In this episode of the podcast, we have a presentation from Dave Neary, who's a community architect at Red Hat, and his presentation uh, that happened at the Open Source Readiness meeting most recently is Assessing the Health of an Open Source Project. So what are the things to look out for when evaluating the community health of a project? And how does community health factor into long-term sustainability? So basically, a healthy open source project is one that you can expect to be around for several years and will continue to develop with new features, regular updates, and conscientious maintainers. Healthy projects demonstrate open practices, use open infrastructure to engage their users, and cultivate an open culture with the goal of becoming more sustainable. So Dave goes through and he describes some of the key factors you can examine to evaluate if a project is healthy and can be expected to be around for the long term. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. Uh, It was a very good one to listen to, and um, we also have a lot of uh, great links in the show notes uh, to help you actually find out how your open source project's community health is going. So with that, let's cue the music. I think we're ready to get started. Um, So uh, with that, I will introduce uh, Dave Neary, who is a community architect and a member of the open source program office at Red Hat. And uh, Dave's gonna be talking about a topic that I have discussed with a few Finos members recently, which is uh, how you assess the health of an open source project um, that you're looking to either use or contribute to. So Dave, um, feel free to expand on that introduction and uh, take it away. Uh, thank you, Aaron. No, I actually, I won't. I'll just get straight into the meat of the presentation. Um, so basically, one of the questions we're going to ask about here is, is why care at all? Um, why a project, whether an open source project is healthy or not? And that's the reason why is basically, if you're looking to consume open source, uh, you're going to want to know who created it, whether they're reliable, whether they have a good track record of dealing with security issues, um, whether it's a good fit for your purpose, right? If if it's a project that's not aligned short-term or long-term with with what you want to achieve with it, that's gonna be a problem, Uh, whether it's well-maintained and so on. Uh, So if you're gonna be using it for five to 10 years in a a production product, um, product, you're gonna want to know that it's something that you can rely on as you're you're, uh, depending on it. because you can end up, you know, bearing very significant costs if, you know, even if it's an open source project, if you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you have to, you know, hire people to maintain the project for you, uh, that's going to be a significant cost uh, uh, over the total lifetime of the project. So you're going to have similar considerations uh, when you're thinking about joining or contributing to an open source project. Is this a project that you're going to have a voice in? Is it a project where outside contributions are welcome and so on? So thinking about a project's health is a way to answer uh, some of these questions related to risk and and, and sustainability. Uh, So if you look at how we've done this in the past, we typically look at metrics like downloads, code commits, contributors, issues closed, 
some kind of social media metrics. These are the things that are easy to measure. They're the things that are publicly viewable about a website. But it's very, very difficult when you've got two projects side by side that are putting different sets of metrics in front of you to understand which one is healthier than the other. Uh, so the fact is both of like project A and project B here without further information, it's basically impossible to say which one is, is, um, is the more well-run project. Um, so a more effective assessment of open source project health is, is going to provide some kind of a standardized set of qualities and associated metrics. It's going to get, pay attention to project culture and dynamics. So not just outputs of what's produced, but how it's produced by who, uh, under what conditions. Um, and the condi consideration of the project's overall lifecycle and ecosystem. Is it depending on some bleeding edge technology or uh, is there is there a, a competing project that does the same job in a better way? Uh, so no project exists in a vacuum. Every project has a history. It's got projects that are associated with it. It's got dependencies. And really, a kind of a, a, an overall health measurement has to take all of that into, into uh, consideration. So our goals today are, and I want to make this clear, we're going to be talking about um, community open source projects here for the most part, right? If you are considering uh, adopting a, an open source project that is essentially supported by a single vendor, uh, so you've got um, an open source project uh, vendor product that's built on that, and you have basically, you know, between 80 and 100% of the contributions to the project are coming from a single vendor, then I would say use your traditional purchasing department um, uh, risk evaluation for vendors, right? You've got you've got a vendor. You can look at their balance sheet. You can look at their uh, history, and you can evaluate the risk associated with a project in that way. So we're going to talk more about projects where you've got a, a um, at least the public messaging of the project is this is a community developed open source project, multiple vendors to choose from, and and the questions we're going to ask are going to be. Uh, related to that type of project. So we're going to explore a more comprehensive set of considerations for assessing project health in terms of defining what a project, what a healthy open source project looks like, and looking at some of the key uh, considerations that you make when determining the health of an open source project. So I'm not going to give you firm numbers here. What, I, what we're going to, I'm going to do is list a set of questions, most of which are going to be qualitative, some of which quantitative, uh, that taken together give you a perception and overall an overall view of a project's health. So first, uh, let's discuss what we mean by project's health. What project health? What is a healthy open source project? Well, if you um, what if, if I ask the people on the call here, what what would you say is a healthy open source project? What does this term mean to you? Um, can I get can I get a, a Anybody want to pitch in with the first uh, thing that comes to mind and what a, a healthy open source project is? I will say a, a diversity of uh, contributors, perhaps from from different organizations. Uh, and why would vendor diversity be uh, be a, an important consideration? It means that if you know if one of those vendors decides to move to a different technology or otherwise you know un, you know divest from the project, that uh, that it'll still be maintained presumably by by the others. Okay, so yeah, it definitely contributes to sustainability. Uh, anybody else? I would on riff on Eric. 
One thing uh, I look at is how what was the most recent update to the project? Like last commit was three days ago. Sometimes you see a project that hasn't been touched in three years. I would stay away from it. So, uh, thank you, Girish. Yeah. Um, so regular updates and, a, and an active uh, community for sure. Uh, I think I it was, was going to say the same thing. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Regular updates, not just the latest update, but like if there's you know a six month hole in the project at some point, you might wonder why that happened and when it's going to happen next time so anybody else i would riff on what aaron said and say not only diversity of contributors but diversity of maintainers so uh two or more organizations are represented in the maintainer pool okay um for I a project me time to remediation of vulnerabilities as well right um yeah so, so thank you bella so that's something like um uh, good, good, transparent processes for how they deal with uh, security issues, for example, and a good track record, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I could also look for um, activity on on the the forums, chats, whatever mechanism they have, which obviously, if it's an open source project, should be open. So measuring the the community activity, not just the contributors, but the actual community activity. Okay. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And so the, the definition that we came to came with um, basically converges on uh, three core axes with one central goal. Um, the core axes that uh, that we basically see as 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 fundamental are uh, a healthy open source project is one that demonstrates open practices. So that includes uh, things like how you deal with security issues, how you define your and, and manage your roadmap, um, uses open infrastructure. So that's kind of flowing from what Gilles said about um, you know having mailing lists that are active uh, that uh, contributors participate in um, and cultivates an open culture. So you don't have backdoor conversations. You don't have a core developer team that has a back channel that's independent from the community channel. Um, and with the, 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 the overall goal of being uh, more sustainable. Uh, so this all kind of contributes to like a lot of the things that like Rob and Aaron and um, others were, were talking about in terms of having multiple uh, entities contributing, um, all contribute to sustainability, right? It's about, it's about creating a situation where um, different people are contributing on a level, level playing field. Now, sometimes for younger projects, it's normal, for example, to have a single vendor. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're unhealthy. Um, you can, basically tell whether you're going to have uh, additional vendors arrive and, and participate in the future by looking at what are the development practices of an, er of an early stage project. Do they have a, a maintainer who is uh, kind of more guarded um, or do they have a maintainer who's kind of actively looking for other people to engage? And as soon as people turn up and show an interest, they become you know an active contributor in the project. Uh, so these are the kind of things that you can look at. And essentially, there are four dimensions that I'm going to look at today um, for project health. The first is maturity, because as I've kind of indicated, uh, depending on where you are in a project lifecycle, uh, you're going to apply a different set of uh, metrics. You're going to apply. Uh, you're going to hold projects to a different set of standards. Uh, a project that started six months ago is not going to have ten vendors and a hundred developers working on it, but you can identify its trajectory. Um, 
a, but a project in, in similarly a project that's five to ten years old and doesn't have kind of an active maintainership and a well-documented governance governance style well you're going to have some questions about that too um second we're going to look at leadership and governance um how are decisions made are those are those processes documented who are the project leaders uh do they have well-defined processes for key um key uh linchpins of the project, things like release management. Um, community architecture is more around um, how the pro what the project uses to get its work done. Do you have a good asynchronous and synchronous communication, good bug tracking, a well-defined uh, way of onboarding new contributors? Um, do you have a, a good and well-maintained documentation for community processes and so on? And finally, another one that's a little bit um, Harder to justify, I would say, is audience and awareness. Is is it a, is this a project that has a well-defined um, use case uh, that understands its target audience and where it's going? Uh, is it a project that's reaching that target audience? Because, you know, frankly, a project that's not recruiting new users um, is not going to be long-term sustainable either. Um, so that's kind of um, the four dimensions of project health that we look at. Notice that this isn't so much a checklist as a guide. It's it's giving you an overall idea. Um, so depending on the project you're considering, you're not going to assess each one of these or you're not going to care equally about each one. But at the very least, some of these criteria are going to be important as you have conversations internally with stakeholders about whether to adopt or use this project. So first, looking at project maturity. Um, Basically, this group furnishes all of the context that you need for all of the rest of the criteria. So that's why it's important. Um, and the first thing is that every project has a life cycle. Um, there, is a, there is a kind of a natural evolution of successful projects from nascent, exciting, solving a problem, and recruiting new contributors in an early stage, uh, getting a fast adoption through to uh, maturity where a project is more um, in maintenance mode, but you can you can kind of characterize the, the, the project based on the commercial ecosystem around it, um, its adoption overall, and generally how much utility, how much it's become part of the part of the plumbing, uh, for want of a better phrase. Uh, so some of the questions you're going to ask here are when was a project founded? How old is it? How often do new contributors join the project? Because if you're not getting new contributors all of the time, eventually a project is going to stagnate and die. And this is true for even um, you know, very old and very mature projects. And how frequently do you see new contributors coming in and, and becoming uh, um, actually making contributions to the project? Uh, so if you're not seeing uh, regular new updates from people who are not part of the core contribution team, that can be a red flag for, for very mature projects. Also, if you're seeing new contributors added frequently in young projects, that's a very, very good sign indeed. Um, looking at a project's goals and roadmap, a healthy open source project that tends to share publicly their goals and their development plans. And they have clear processes for reaching those goals. Uh, those goals are attainable. Um, and the project has shown a good track record for uh, meeting its goals. Uh, so it defines attainable goals and it kind of tracks its uh, its its project, um, you know, roadmaps, milestones, whatever, 
to, to deliver against those goals. So has this project got a roadmap? Um, usually you'll find, find this in, in either the project's repository, in the bug tracker, sometimes in a developer uh, documentation site. But is there some clearly documented process whereby uh, project users can engage with the project to say, these are the things that are important to us and have some kind of clarity on whether they're also important to the project maintainers? And, um, and is there a history of meeting the project deadlines, whether that's uh, hitting their release dates or including features that they promise in certain releases? And in terms of um, the ecosystem, no project exists in a vacuum. Uh, projects frequently depend on one another. And in some cases, uh, similar projects can be, can be competing to reach the same target audience. So one of the things is if, if uh, somebody comes to you and says, we want to use this project, you look around and you say, are there other projects that have greater traction, that have a bigger user audience, um, that belong to a more vibrant software ecosystem than the one that we're considering? Um, if you look at a project's dependency trees, um, that's also, I mean, increasingly, and this is particularly in the financial sector, increasingly we're hearing about software supply chain and its importance. And, you know, all of a sudden you don't need to care just about the security practices of the project you're adopting. But if this project belongs in a, to a software ecosystem that has projects that have a, a bad track record, track, record, track record, pardon me, with security issues, um, you may end up being exposed by proxy. Uh, some dependency uh, has has poor uh, hygiene around security, and all of a sudden, a project that you've evaluated as 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 relatively um, riskless becomes a risk. Uh, so, <clears throat> looking at looking at all of the dependency tree, the software supply chain for the projects that you're adopting is important. And um, it's a kind of a, a finger in the wind uh, uh, metric, but as you uh, look at the mentions of this project in other projects in its ecosystem, either dependencies or, or projects that are consuming it, is, is this project generally viewed favorably? Uh, maybe doing some sentiment analysis on social media posts or, or, or something like that, or, or ways that you can measure this kind of thing. Um, is it a project in general that people like? Um, is there a maintainer team in general that people like working with? And those are things that are uh, you know, those are somewhat important in, in figuring out whether a project is uh, is healthy or not. Which brings us uh, nicely to uh, the subject of leadership and governance. Uh, so the considerations in this category uh, generally pertain to the to the internal project dynamics, the rules and regulations, uh, the the playing field on which the project operates. <clears throat> so the first is um, governance, uh, which broadly defined, you can say, how is, is how the project actually works, how the people in the project actually get stuff done in the project. It's the rules and customs that define who does what in an open source project. Now, the very first thing that you will uh, look for in governance is, is there a documented governance model? Even if projects say that they don't have a formal governance model, they do have governance. Um, things happen. There are people who make decisions. There are people who control access to certain key resources, whether that's you know who can upload a release or who can tag the Git repository or who gets to um, approve commits to the Git 
uh, to the Git repository. Um, so there are there are always governance um, points of control in an open source project. Um, the question is not whether the governance exists, it's whether it's documented. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, so does the model account for both technical and business concerns? Do you have governance that's well-defined for who can approve a pull request, um, who can tag a release, but doesn't mention things like um, marketing team or uh, you know who gets to speak for the project or uh, for example if there's a, a product manager who is uh, who is kind of defining and managing the project roadmap is that person publicly listed uh, so you're looking for all of the considerations around a project to be taken into consideration because that's you know partly that that is going to indicate to you that it's a project that appreciates non-technical contributions as well which is important in general and then how do project members make and enforce decisions um is there uh, some kind of uh you know and some of these decisions can be things like um you know relatively unpleasant to deal with issues like code of conduct violations um is there a well-defined process for handling those that allows uh, managing conflict um, without uh, without issue. If if you have multiple people who want to include features in a in a project roadmap, uh, do um, is there some kind of well defined adjudication process for deciding what gets prioritized? And these are the kind of things that you're going to want to look at in governance models. And and I do have a pointer to a document uh, that I will give in chat afterwards uh, that we've made available on. Um, open source project governance and a guide to governance models. Uh, so next up, project leaders. Um, <clears throat> it should be easy to tell who the people who are the leaders of the project, whether that's the, the pardon me, the benevolent dictator for life model that you have in Linux, um, or uh, some kind of a collegiate uh, model of a maintainer team. You should be able to identify the leaders and understand what their motivations and intentions are in, in maintaining the project. This is going to be important because if you have a leader of a project who um, absolutely does not want the project to go in a certain direction that's important to you, that's something you need to evaluate early on. Um, and then also looking at you know where the where the leaders kind of stake their claim, and where they let others do the work. You know where where do they focus? Are they focused more on the engineering, the technical roadmap? Uh, do they focus on some combination of project promotion, uh, or are they purely technically focused? The best the best project leaders actually care both about um, the the project engineering and the promotion and growth of the project user base. And finally, healthy projects release often and have good processes for defining how releases are made. Uh, so uh, you want to look at whether a project takes a, a kind of a free-for-all uh, approach in terms of releases. Um, you know, I, I have formerly worked on a project where the answer to the question, when will uh, the next release of this project be out, was systematically when it's ready. And, and there was a period where that was kind of an accepted and, and uh, normal answer for open source projects to give. Um, and then along came projects like uh, Gnome or Eclipse, 
where um, the standard of saying we're going to release every six months and we're going to put in place some kind of processes to ensure that every six months what we release is a good release artifact. We're going to limit the scope of each release. We're going to make sure that projects are tested continuously against each other. And we're going to have a release manager who uh, is responsible for defining the release criteria and communicating with projects when they fall behind uh, with respect to those release criteria. Um, and that's really become, since the beginning of, of the, the century, I would say, has really become the standard, the gold standard for projects. It's like you want to see projects releasing regularly, releasing with good release hygiene, and um, kind of documenting uh, what's involved in uh, a release so that it's giving some level of certainty to the people who are building on top of that open source project as to what they can expect. <clears throat> okay, our next uh, set of considerations are around uh, community architecture, the nuts and bolts uh, issues surrounding projects, how they operate, what infrastructure they use. And in general, I'm really not um, very strident about whether projects should use one source control system or another, whether projects should use mailing lists or forums. It's not something that I particularly care about. But there are a set of things that you expect all open source projects to have. Uh, they should have um, some form of archived asynchronous um, communication. And whether that's a forum or a mailing list or a Discord, uh, no, Discord, not discourse, uh, is kind of not so important, but it does need some kind of way for project contributors and project uh, users to communicate with each other in a way that's asynchronous because time zones and um, and archived uh, because you want to make sure that you have uh, a, your, you have some kind of searchable history for how decisions have been made in the past. Also, for new people coming in, that's one of the tools that they're going to use to identify who the leaders are and how decisions get made. You're going to want to have some kind of source code, uh, uh, software configuration management, uh, a publicly accessible code repository with all dependencies available, uh, issue trackers so that you can track changes, um, well-defined testing, so a, a, a well-defined way for not just getting the source code, compiling it and running it, but also kind of test frameworks uh, that are, that are well-defined and, and easy to run as a third party. And then you're going to want to look at project documentation, user documentation and developer documentation as a key um, indicator of uh, project health. Because if a project cares about both user and, and uh, developer documentation, this is a project that's going to be um, more user friendly and more developer friendly when you, when you get to the point of wanting to contribute. Um, so that's the core. Uh, of the infrastructure that you expect to see in an open source project, plus a website, obviously. I mean, I, I, that almost goes without saying. Um, so not every project needs everything, uh, but every project should have at least that set of things. It should have some well-defined process for, for publishing documentation. Uh, you should have some kind of a website. You should have some kind of asynchronous and synchronous communication forms. Um, so remember that supporting 
and or joining an open source project needn't necessarily mean donating code or developer time. Uh, so in some cases, it can mean providing infrastructure. So maybe uh, if there are things that are missing, whether that's you know um, sufficient compute resources to run continuous integration and continuous testing uh, of, of builds, maybe that's an opportunity for you as a third party to contribute something to the project as well. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Uh, then the other thing that's going to be critical, particularly if you're if you're if this project is becoming important to you and you're considering uh, contributing or, or assigning somebody to contribute to this project, is going to be the onboarding processes. Um, how many roadblocks are there to becoming a new contributor to a project? Um, does the project require a CLA? Uh, is that something that is going to be a comp uh, a, a, an issue for for your organization? Um, does the documentation clearly explain how the project is, what it does, how to use it? Um, pardon me, what the project is, what it does, and how to use it. Uh, does it clearly explain how to build a project from source code um, or how to uh, package it so that you can deploy it on uh, a particular container platform? Um, does the project accept contributions of more than one type? Does it even accept, does it accept contributions from more than one entity? So if you have a maintainer team that has a clear preference, and you can see this through code repository metrics quite readily, usually, if there's a bias towards accepting contributions from one organization over another, or if new contributors typically have, it's normal as a new contributor to have a kind of increased attention to your projects, to your contributions while you haven't established a track record. But if, if contributions are ignored or not reviewed at all, that's a really bad red flag. So you want to look at projects. Uh, you want to, the healthy projects have, um, I, I really like that the, one of the creators of Bugzilla said, you, you want to be um, really, really abnormally kind to new contributors. Healthy projects, when they see somebody new uh, arriving in the project, get their hooks into them. Give them extra attention over what's uh, reasonably expected, um, because that's the way that you grow your community over time. So that's what you want to look for in, um, in the healthiest projects. And then finally, internal communication. Um, is it possible for you to trace directly from developer conversations through to the project roadmap through to code contributions? One of the very common anti-patterns that you see in projects is that there's very little developer discussion on the developer mailing list before a roadmap is published. Now, you know that that discussion happened. The question is not whether it happened uh, at all. The question is whether it happened in public. Um, so what you want to see in healthy projects is that there's a very vibrant debate around what's important to the project that happens on a mailing list before a project roadmap gets published um, and before people commit to developing certain features. Um, so <clears throat> any kind of red flag uh, related to, is there a back channel, a coffee machine effect, a water cooler effect, where people are, are uh, having discussions and making decisions uh, outside of the public channels, that's, that's a really bad red flag. And um, that's kind of coming to this third point here on the right. Are project communications and internal decision-making conversations public and transparent? Or uh, you know, do you have a kind of a, 
a, a cabal effect where people are, are making decisions behind closed doors and then bringing them to the community as an announcement rather than as a basis for discussion. And then you want to also look at good community hygiene. Are channels moderated? Is poor behavior accepted or not? Because, you know, there's a saying, I think, in the, um, in the, is it the military? It says that the, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Um, and this is, this is really, really important in, in community projects, is you can identify poor behavior in every project. The question is not whether uh, you will find it. The question is whether when it shows up, it's tolerated or, or uh, snuffed out immediately. Uh, so is there some kind of a well-documented process for a code of conduct? Do you have project leadership who basically draw a line and say, no, you will not, be, you will not pass this line of, of behavior standards? Dave, we have a question uh, from Gil in the uh, in the chat. Um, Ask me. Yeah. I have not been able to see yeah. the chat. So, Gil, you want to go ahead? Yeah, um, sure. So this is this is a little related to something that uh, you mentioned before about the maturity. Um, so sorry if it's a little out of sequence, um, but there's this general feeling that if a project is old, you probably don't want to touch it, and then there's sort of this competing feeling that if a project is new, then it might be like a little too unstable to actually use in production because it's too new. And um, is there a way for projects to sort of signal where they are on the maturity curve so that? Um, people, participants know whether they're being invited to help create something or they're being invited to help use something that's kind of fully baked versus it's baked, but it's also past its expiration date. Right. Um, well, I would look to uh, the project website. I mean, the, the, the best projects um, put their users front and center, right? So one of the things that I really like is, is, is um, projects that, that post user case studies. Uh, people who are getting value from the project and in the ways in which they're using it. You know, what's the problem that they're solving with it? Um, I would say, you know, you look at the Linux kernel, it's 30 years old. It's not past its sell-by date. GCC is 40 years old. It's doing okay. Um, so age is not necessarily, uh, 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 you know, there's a difference between fashion and utility, as, as you're well aware. And um, I'm... I would say, you know, the utility of the project is going to be not quite orthogonal to its age, but it's um, it's definitely not completely dependent. Let me put it that way. Um, I'm mathematicians. So I'm thinking in terms of linear algebra here, but um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good point. And, and I think um, one of the things that's a red flag for me is when you have projects that are very technology focused, that talk a lot about the technology, but don't have any users that they can put front and center to say, this is a person who's using this project and is getting utility out of it. And that's something you see a lot around, um, you know, infrastructure projects that come out of uh, large companies, to be frank. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to fight against that tendency as a, as a, as a member of those companies and say, Look, we need to find somebody who's whose problem you're solving who's going to be super enthusiastic about this project. Because if we don't have one, um, we're not going to be able to find others. If people find this too difficult to run, they're not going to be able to run it. So that's that's kind of how I look at it. And it comes to, you know, we're getting into that now with the awareness and audience uh, section. Um, I'm just reading through the Q&A now. I'm a little behind. Anybody have any other questions before I get into this? 
think the only other question uh, was from Rob Underwood on on the extent to which uh, Finos tracks its projects against these metrics. Uh, and it's a great question. It's one that I'm not equipped to answer, and I doubt Dave is as well. Um, sure. <laughs> so I'll, yeah. I'll leave it to James, perhaps, to address that at the end of the meeting if, if he feels uh, qualified to. But Dave, please. There are there are some resources at the end of this, and as I said, I, we've got a list of uh, of resources on the on the Red Hat uh, resources website um, that touch on a lot of these things, like evaluating a project in its life cycle, um, evaluating a project's governance, and and this is directly related to a brief which I will put uh, right now in the. Um, this is a, a checklist for measuring open source health. As I said, it's it's more than a checklist. It's um, um, but don't read it right now because because you want to pay attention to here. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Uh, finally, let's talk about audience uh, projects, target users. Uh, what are the problems? And this is exactly what I was saying to uh, to Gil. Uh, Well-run open-source projects demonstrate a clear understanding of their users, the problems they're solving, and they showcase successful user case studies. Uh, so those are things that are really a good tra good trademark for uh, a good marker for healthy projects is, uh, can they point to people who are using this project successfully and what they're using it for? Is this a project that's easy to use, build, and contribute to? <clears throat> and uh, does that target audience that they put front and center, does that match your use case? Are you trying to use this project for something that it's not fit for? It's an important question to ask. And um, as I said at the start, uh, projects that are not growing in terms of their user base will wither on the vine and die and, and will be, as, as Gil said, past their sell-by date. Uh, so looking at some of the things that a project does for outreach are going to be important. Um, do they have journalists writing about it? Are people who are not directly involved in the project writing about, talking about promoting this project. Um, if nobody outside of the project or outside of a single vendor cares about a project, it could be a red flag. Um, it could be that it's just early on its maturity cycle, that it doesn't have any showcase users yet. But in general, I, I would take that as, a, as a, a mark against, a hit against the project. Um, and then you want to look at things like uh, the events that it's reaching out to. Do you see presentations for this um, event, for pardon me, presentations for this project in the agenda of um, events that are important to the target audience? So one of the, one of the things that's uh, um, potentially a red flag again is projects that focus on open source events or events that are created specifically for that project, like, a, you know, a, 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 I'm going to a Foo Camp, um, which is a bad example because that actually exists. But, you know, the, for a project Foo that they create their own, their own event, uh, or do you see presentations for this project showing up in, you know, industry events that are, that are important to their target audience? Uh, so, for example, you know, a project that is looking for financial sector users, are they submitting their their uh, uh, presentations for their project to, uh, you know, uh, events like Finos or OSSF? Uh, if they care about that audience, they're going to go and reach out to that audience. Um, if they care more about the technology, 
um, then then maybe they're going to find you're you're going to find them in an event like um, you know FOSDEM or uh, or an or an event that's that's more um, not not directly focused at their users but more focused at at uh, at a technical audience. And and that's not to say that seeing a seeing a project appear in FOSDEM is bad. I'm uh, kind of speaking off the top of my head here, but it's it's a it's a question of are they targeting their outreach to the people they want to see use and contribute to the project. That's kind of the, the core point I'm, I guess, trying to get at. And finally, you can tell a lot uh, by kind of reviewing things like Google Trends and uh, generally the sentiment uh, related to the project um, in terms of the coverage that you see on things like Hacker, um, on, on things like um, Stack Overflow. Uh, so is there a target audience that's aware of the project? Uh, are people using it and asking questions about it? Are those questions in general kind of more advanced questions? So they've gotten to the start in terms of the, you know, what's the 15 minute experience, um, but but they're getting stuck trying to achieve something that's a little bit more detail oriented. That's a good sign. Um, if people are, are stuck at, you know, I can't get this thing installed and used, that's a bad sign. Uh, so do others working in an industry that would benefit from the project know that the project exists? If you don't know what exists, you can't use it. So to review, and I'm going to zoom through this, um, basically four axes, uh, maturity, leadership, and governance, community architecture, and audience and awareness, the general perception of the project. And a healthy open source project is one that demonstrates open practices, uses open infrastructure and cultivates an open culture with the goal of becoming more sustainable. Uh, so just to point to a couple of resources, uh, the Chaos Project from the Linux Foundation. Um, and I know this is one that uh, several people here are involved with and, and familiar with. Um, common metrics focus, it's a, it's a focus on tooling, but also on identifying what the key metrics are for communities. Um, some, there's a focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, by building measures of open source project health, chaos seeks to improve the transparency and actionability of open source project health so that relevant stakeholders can make more informed decisions. That's directly from the, from the chaos website. Um, so here are a, a, a set of common uh, areas that, that chaos looks at and that uh, you can find tooling and metrics for um, on the chaos website. And I've linked linked to this brief in the chat already, measuring open source project health. Uh, this is going to give you some questions that you can answer. And for some of these, for example, you can see here in the snapshot, there's an open source project lifecycle brief. There's a governance, um, a governance brief, and both of those are linked to directly from the brief that I've shared. And I'll be sharing these slides with the FinOS community um, after, after this presentation. And that is it from me. Uh, thank you very much. I will now uh, stop for any remaining questions or discussion. Um, anything here that I've missed, I would be interested in hearing from you all. I've got an experienced audience and some people who are definitely opinionated about topics related to risk management, uh, project maturity, and project health. So I'd love to hear from people who think that we've uh, we've missed out on some stuff. and. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, let me open it up. Question, I guess. Yes, yeah, sure. Question from me, Bella. Um, how do you determine if there's a project that 
might be ripe for kind of taking up ownership of. So meaning it might not have the most, like a number of maintainers or in a certain sense, it might not be the most popular right now, but you feel like you can kind of take up ownership of it and successfully. That's a really good question. Um, well, that's partly that's going to depend on the, the the history of the maintainer, right? So if, if one of the things that you can see is if you've got a single maintainer that's been taking a heavy, heavy burden, and this often happens with more mature projects where uh, you know, attention kind of goes away and you end up with one person bearing the burden of uh, maintenance of a project. Um, if that person has shown themselves to be willing to uh, to, to be collegial and, and to be willing to accept contributions from others in the past, it's likely that they will be willing to accept uh, a handing of the, a passing of the torch. Um, if that person has tended to be in their interactions with others more guarded or territorial, uh, then it's likely that they will also be guarded and territorial about handing control of the project to somebody else. Uh, you also want to look at things like, um, uh, let me stop sharing so that we all see each other. Um, you also want to look at things like, um, are they um, are they careful about who they pass the torch to? Because if you ask a project uh, whether you can be added as a maintainer and with zero, zero vetting you're added as a maintainer, um, that may be a red flag in terms of uh, their uh, project hygiene, in terms of uh, vetting new people to be added to the project. Event Stream 2.0. So there's a question from Garish in the chat. Um, is there a prescriptive quick start guide for starting a new open source project? Oh, that's a really interesting question, too. Um, so I do have a link to, um, again, there is no right answer to these things. So anytime um, you see a, a, a something from uh, me in general, uh, you're going to, it's going to have as many questions as answers, right? But there are some things that are always uh, required. Let me, let me find, uh, I, I'm going to be looking for a link here in the background. But I do have, uh, 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 there's a Red Hat resource um, to starting an open source project, which I'm I'm not sure exactly who wrote it. I did not. It looks like Gil has uh, posted a, a Linux Foundation resource uh, for this. Yes, there's also well. one from, from uh, the open source guide, uh, starting an open source project. And I have... Um, I here's one. There's actually there's two that I would add, that I would add. So that's so from the Red Hat perspective, there's uh, how to launch an open source project, and then there's um, a guide that I like, which is a set of questions that you want to ask before um, developing a strategy for your open source project. So there's I, I would say there's no definitive answer, um, Girish, but um, uh, I would say that there are a lot of a lot of common questions that need to be asked, and there are things that, like some of the things that I was asking. You know, what's the target audience? What is the problem that you want to solve? Um, how do you reach that audience? So, a lot of the things around around launching an open source project, in my opinion, the most important things are around positioning and messaging, um, and actually being good as a project. I mean, obviously, that almost goes without saying, but I guess it doesn't go without saying. <laughs> Dave, I think an important question for sort of putting this 
framework for evaluating project health into context is, you know, how do you determine um, how much this, how important this question is for a particular project? So let's say, you know, you're looking to, to consume some open source project in, you know, in some internal development project. Um, you know, how, how does the, the, the sort of importance of your internal project or that open source component within the project play into the way that you're looking at these criteria for that? Right. How would you answer that? Um, well, you know, I, I guess I would say that if we're talking about a, a business critical project um, and, you know, you're looking at an open source component that's going to be play a really central role in in that development, then, you know, the, the health of the project is going to be, you know, really important. If right. you're looking at something that's only going to be used internally, has no sort of uh, attack surface, um, you know, when it comes to potential security vulnerabilities, at least from, from the outside of the organization, and, you know, you're looking at an open source component that's, that's performing a, a relatively minor function within the project, then it, it would matter, I think, a lot less how many of these boxes the project was ticking. I would totally agree, but I would add that, you know, there are no prototypes. There are only things that haven't reached production yet. Um, at some point, the question becomes, how good are your internal controls for you know, how do you evaluate when internal development projects suddenly become important? Um, how much is the gatekeeping happening there and how much rework would be involved in that? Um, so I no, I, I I agree with your your general metric. It's it's um the bar is going to be a lot higher for something you're going to be using for five years than it is for something that you you're using because you want to process a batch of data right now and you happen to have a library that's helpful and in a half an hour you won't care anymore. But in between those two, there's a whole range of stuff. And they can change over time. And that was that was kind of what my Yeah, I mean, I guess the other dimension is is what the application is actually doing. Meaning if it's processing high risk data or something like that, that's different, right? Than if it's processing something that you don't care if it gets public. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dave, uh, for an excellent presentation and for the resources um, that Red Hat has put out on this topic. I think they're really helpful. Thank you, Aaron. All right. So thank you again for joining us on the FinOS Open Source and Finance podcast. We hope you enjoyed uh, this talk by Dave Neary from Red Hat about assessing the health of an open source project. And as always, we'd like to sincerely thank you for joining us here at FinOS and spending your time with us. And we invite you to connect with our community. Join us at FinOS.org to find out more about the community. Follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join our Slack channels and please subscribe to the Open Source and Finance podcast and rate it five stars. It really helps us. Uh, join our mailing list for weekly and biweekly updates and just get involved with the community. This has been your host, Grizz Grizzold of Finos. Good day, good night, wherever you are.